In this podcast, I'll be discussing power, dominating power, resistance power, and how those two intertwine and how they are spatialized. Let's get started. In the last podcast, I described how places and spaces can be politicized, um, especially spaces. And then in this chapter, I want to get at specifically how are places and spaces politicized and, wh and what does that mean? Following that, this idea, Anderson describes the notion of how we make places and how we resist making places through power. And power, again, like culture, like place, like space, is one of those words that we often use, but we don't analyze, we don't really inspect. So in this chapter, we're inspecting power and its spatial implications. Previously, Anderson has talked about bordering, bordering and ordering, right? And he uses the parentheses around the B in bordering to signify that cultures can uh, order society and they border it. So the cultures define what goes where, who goes where. And all of our powerful actions are associated somehow with space. We're either moving through space, delineating space, telling something else to go somewhere else. And so I would say almost all of our actions are thus spatial. And Anderson says that, quote, we are part of the cultural world and then all, all of our acts are power. All of our cultural practices are inherently geographical in nature. Places therefore become the medium in which power is exercised, made visible and has effects. Places are the stuff of power. And yeah, so how do we begin to see this? We see this through um, who we allow into our bedroom um, and, and at what scale, right? Also is a great um, entry point into this discussion of power. Power can be exercised, like I mentioned, in our bedroom. It could be mentioned, um, power can be investigated at the, the city level. Um, who has the power to um, designate where people who are experiencing homeless go. Can, um, and then we can also talk about what gives you power in the society. I'm talking about people who are experiencing homelessness. Do they have a power to um, change or affect society in the same way that say, say maybe a business owner or somebody um, of that nature has? Do they have the same power? What gives power? Dominating power is, quoting Anderson, the power that which is successful in controlling or coercing the action of others. And dominating power is one of the main types of power that he discusses in this chapter. Um, essentially, dominating power tells other people what to do and how to do it, how to be, essentially. Um, there's a lot of interesting signs in, in the text here about, um, you know, don't walk on the grass, don't go here, no skateboarding, no dogs allowed, um, you know, you must cover up your body, no smoking, no kicking. 
these are every everyday kind of signs that we might understand. Um, what's what's one that is sort of our zeitgeist, right? Wear a mask. The mask sign is a form of dominating power from the health administration, from the government, telling us how to be in particular spaces. We don't have to wear the masks outside of buildings on campus, but we do inside, right? So there's a spatial component of power, and this is this is every day power. Um, but dominating power does not just stop with this everyday notion. Indeed, it can be felt from the societal level. Um, dominating power has to do with um, what genders can go into what bathrooms, um, you know, what, what ethnicities are made to feel comfortable in certain spaces, for example. This is also dominating power. Who is allowed into the country? Um, are immigrants, are refugees allowed into the country? And which ones, right? So this is the spatial movement of people through a, a nationally organized dominating power. So following this discussion of dominating power, Anderson describes dominating power as imposing ideology. And ideology is, quote, um, ideology describes, quote, describes the beliefs, attitudes, and habits of feelings which a society in, uh, inculcates in order to generate an automatic reproduction of its structuring premises. An automatic reproduction of its structuring premises. So let's focus on that last phrase for a minute. An automatic reproduction of its structuring premises. Ideology, in other words, is the societal belief that certain um, practices, certain ways of being belong and it is embodied, it's practiced, it's believed, it becomes part of you. And so ideology becomes automatic. It becomes expressed through your actions, your everyday actions. And this can be a form uh, and is a form of dominating power, right? When government institutions, when um, institutions in general have the power to disseminate information through new media, through social media, through news outlets, through broadcast, through radio, through education, through education as well. Um, when they have the power to broadcast and disseminate this information and, and to make you believe and think the way they want you to believe, the things they want you to believe, this is a form of dominating power. And I argue that it belongs to the political left and it belongs to the political right, right? There are very powerful institutions um, with their sort of technological tentacles into all of these news outlets and educational and government outlets, exercising um, through the mass media, um, instilling ideology. Um, again, returning to Cuba, it's a it's a very appropriate case study in ideology, right? Um, in the nineteen in fact, nineteen fifty nine was the victory essentially of um, in January first, nineteen fifty nine was the victory of the communist revolution, 
what became a communist revolution in, in Cuba. And immediately, um, the, the, the revolutionary army, Fidel Castro and his, and his clandestine, um, essentially warriors, um, started imposing and nationalizing um, parts of the government. They nationalized private land. They nationalized, guess what? They nationalized news. They nationalized all of the radio and television and uh, newspapers within the first couple years of the revolution. That means there was no independent information because they viewed news as constitutive of ideology and of identity, right? Because if we can disseminate ideology through news channels, it's a form of dominating power that begins to affect our identity and then affect how we make and create places and spaces. So they were very attuned to the power of, um, of ideology. And even Che Guevara was a, um, one, of, one of the more famous um, revolutionary soldiers. Um, he used a radio broadcasting system during the war to, to disseminate their supposed cultural goals to the poor farmers in eastern um, Cuba. And it helped, it helped gain popularity for the revolutionary movement. Anderson goes on to talk about dominating power being essentially the power to define. Define spaces, define places, define meanings, um, to, to culturally say what is right and what is wrong. And we see this going on now and um, within education. I think one of, um, yeah, one of the most sort of hot button issues right now is uh, cultural uh, critical race theory, right? And critical race theory, for those who don't know, is the idea, it's really the recognition that the United States was founded as a slave-owning um, society. And based on that practice of owning slaves, it's saying that there are financial and cultural repercussions that are ongoing. And because we recognize that historic practice, we must also recognize that race and ethnicity matter, right, in current discussions. So not just taking a, um, a, the stance that, um, what do they call it, colorblind, right? This colorblind idea is inherently flawed because race matters. And in a nutshell, that's critical race theory. So how does this relate back to dominating power? Well, it's the power to define what is right. And within the cultural sort of uh, narratives of the left and the right, um, people are upset that, that this is a history and a geography that's being taught. And at the same time, people are upset that it's a history and geography that's not being taught. And so we have um, an issue, uh, a, a power struggle, a dominating power struggle to define what is right within our cultural narrative in our, in our educational system. So what do you think? 
should we be teaching um, this history and the and the geography of and the legacy of um, colonialism within our schools within our uh, public institutions? So dominating power is what I really just discussed. The second main form of power that Anderson puts forward is resisting power. And resisting power for Anderson is that which seeks to intentionally oppose, challenge, and dispute acts of domination. And so as we've seen, acts of domination, acts of dominating power include everything from um, the signs that say, stay off the grass, wear a mask, all the way up to um, um, institutional um, and governmental scales of power that say that certain bodies, certain ethnicities, certain immigrants don't belong in this nation state and resisting, um, and resisting that. For example, sanctuary cities is a really um, visceral and good example of resisting dominating power. These are cities that view um, certain immigration poli policies and immigration practices as being immoral, and they take uh, immigrants, often uh, people who have come into this country illegally or who were born in this country by parents of um, illegal immigrants, and they, they provide them refuge in an attempt to find a legal um, recourse, a legal way of becoming a naturalized citizen, rather than um, sending people back to wherever they immigrated from um, indefinitely or in these cycles of return, um, immigration and exportation. And so cities are resisting um, it's a spatial scale of a city. It has a certain amount of power, has a certain amount of economic power and political power and police presence, um, as well as it is resisting um, certain national immigration practices. 